Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, or good evening, or I'm happy you joined us while you travel, or while you run, or while you walk, or while you clean, or while you just sit on the couch and listen to a story. Dun 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 dun. The epic narrative is going to continue through the book of Genesis. If you notice the uh, title for this, it's I titled it Lying Father, Lying Son. Kind of a play on words like like father, like son. And I do think ancestry is a really important. I think that the Bible uh, definitely values them. You can see that uh, bloodlines are valuable. Uh, we went through... A significant, uh, I think, pollution of bloodlines that occurred uh, under Noah. And that's part of why the world was headed down the the death trap that it was headed down. And the Lord had to offer this way to get out, this rescue trip. And the, and the only righteous person he could find was somebody whose bloodline was clean. It didn't necessarily mean that Noah was perfect, just that it was clean. But bloodlines are really, you know, are really important. It's one of the reasons uh, why... Um, well, you'll you'll see. Okay, yeah, I almost like jumped way ahead. Okay, here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 26. Now there was famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gidir. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I have told you to live. Stay in this land for a while. I will give it to you, and I will bless you, and for you and your and your descendants, and I will make all these lands to be yours, and I will confirm that oath with you that I had with your father, and I will make your descendants as numbers as the seas in the sky, as stars in the sky, seas in the sky, and I will give them uh, these lands, and through your offspring and all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me, did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments and my decrees and my and my instructions, and so Isaac stayed in gear. Whew, I guess so. After all that, you would stay in gear. You'd be like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. But famine. Famine means a lot of things in the in the literary world and in the spiritual world. Famine can <clears throat> can mean that you are unable to provide, uh, you know, for yourself. Like you, it's a severe famine. Things are so bad. It's been around for so many years. Like basically, no one can live here, and everybody has to go somewhere else to survive. And if you do find somebody living there, like they are eking out some sort of minuscule existence you know with the uh, and in and, and and you're not going to join them uh you just got to kind of look at them and be like yeah not no <laughs> nothing's that pretty that i'm gonna you know live here so uh famine can also mean that there's a lack of you know lack of resources for for commerce in other words you can probably find enough water to plant you know enough stocks of corn enough grain uh, to to make what you need to make in order to survive, you might be able to find enough water to keep the you know the the what do they call them the ewes the um, the breeder the breeding uh, um, sheep the breeding goats the breeding uh, horses you might be able to find enough water to keep them alive enough food to keep them alive but you're not going to find enough to actually expand anything you're not going to be able to sell or bring things to the market you're not going to be able to increase um, your holdings anywhere because you're all your money and resources are going to be on survival. People are in survival mode. 
This is stuff that if, you know, the more you have, the more it impacts you. It's a lot like, uh, well, yeah, it's a, like, a lot like anything economic. Um, and, and honestly, if you're super rich, then you probably got the resources to find other places to continue your resources, which is uh, part of what went on here, right? So famine are the, 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 the circumstances, right? They bring about opportunities for, for decisions. You've got to make a decision. Are we going to stay? Are we going to go? Do you think we can get enough to survive? Do you think we can, we, you know, we, do we have enough stored up from before? Do we have enough money to pay people to bring us stuff? Uh, do you want to move? Do you want to stay? Do you want to go? Do you want to change uh, our business? Do you want to go into some other form of money making? Do you want to move to a different country? And of course, it can also bring a strain on relationships. Anytime that there's <clears throat> there's a lack of resources or lack of ability to get resources, then relationships can get strained. Well, actually, they can get strained either way because, oh Lord, I've you know people who have, have are incredibly wealthy still have relational issues, but. That aside, famine can definitely <laughs> add some add some stress to it, uh, ex exasperate situations and emotions, and you know cause worry and fear, yada yada yada. So now there's famine in the land. This is different from the fa famine that Abraham went through, and so Isaac went to the Philistines. Why? And that that's what the all the rest of the verses are about. He had a decision to make. There's famine in the land. We're not getting enough water to feed our flocks uh, to keep everybody, you know, going. What do you want to do, boss? And he's thinking, well, my dad went to Egypt and came back way richer. So maybe we do that. Now, remember, during all of this, you still have Jacob and Esau alive and well and running around. And you got Esau, who is very much, um, he's still in that um, immediate satisfaction mindset. His paradigm for doing life is let's get it done. Let me just, I, you know, I don't, it's not that he, uh, I don't want to say I don't care about the consequences, but generally speaking, people with, with that type of mindset don't seem to care about the consequences. Their thought is I'll just, I can fix it. Like a hunter mindset, somebody who's been outside in the, in the woods, somebody who's clearly has to have creative problem solving skills. They tend not to be as worried about the res about the results of their choices because they they figure I'll fix it when that happens. Like let me just make the choice I want to make now, and we'll figure out the rest later. Uh, Jacob, on the other hand, his approach was let's think long term. Let's uh, let's consider the whole picture. Let's think about how this is going to impact us in in two years, five years, ten years. How's how's it going to impact the family? Where. Where are we going to live? Where are we going to get water? Like if we send, spend all the resources now, dad, and, and don't move, if we start paying people to bring us things, like how that, how is that going to set us up in the future? And I would imagine that Esau and Jacob had input into Isaac's decision-making. And of course, Esau is pushing dad to make a quick decision. And I have, I have a sense Nothing, nothing other than a sense that Esau is probably thinking, let's go to Egypt. Everything will be fine. We'll have plenty of water, plenty of plenty of uh, resources. We'll have, you know, we'll find a place to live. We have money. We can, we, you know, we can rent a place. We can build a place. We've got all kinds of tents, whatever you want to do. Let's just go to Egypt. Let's just solve the problem. And I think Jacob's thinking, let's, let's consider all the options before we make such a decision. 
So the Lord comes to Isaac and he says, don't go to Egypt, stay here. Stay in the land that I'm going to give you. And he just reminds him, you are going to possess this land. Your descendants are going to possess this land. It's, it's a land, when he says, I'm going to give it to you, and I know we've covered this before, it's not, it doesn't mean I'm going to annihilate everyone. It means you are going to over, overcome this culture. You are going to overcome this land. It's all going to be in your, quote, possession. And, and Isaac understood that as well. So he's like, yeah, basically, yes, we'll stay here because we can't have possession of the land if we keep moving out of the land. We don't own any any property, so we need to stay in the culture. We need to stay with the people. We need to, you know, live life alongside them. This was this was a wise decision. It's also good and wise, you know, because he listened to God, which is, you know, a, a pretty good resources uh, of wisdom. <laughs> And, and making of wise decisions. So he just, you know, he, he stays. He goes to the coast. He goes to the Philistines to uh, kind of, I mean, you can kind of, it's Abimelech, okay? But it's m- most, uh, all resources say this isn't Abimelech, the guy who made a treaty with Abraham. This is Abimelech, the son of the guy who made a, a treaty with, the, with Abraham. So I wonder sometimes, given the rest of the story, if this Abimelech ever really knew why his father made the treaty with Abraham. I think he always knew that, that you know, this this tribe, this clan that was ever growing out there in the plains of, of Canaan, uh, you know, they were great people and they got along and there was a treaty. I just don't know if he knew why, because that was an embarrassing thing for his father to have gone through, to have, you know, considered almost marrying Abraham's wife, Sarah, and finding out how old she is, despite how beautiful she was. So the culture of that of that area is still the same as it was in Abraham's uh, when Abraham visited. It's a culture that that isn't, you know, uh, we'll say Yahweh centric. It doesn't have kingdom principles. It's kind of, uh, you know, selfish pride, arrogance, uh, do what you want. Get what you can. And one of the things that they would do, you know, is if uh, you were married to a beautiful woman, they would still, um, you would have an unfortunate accident and your wife would become available and uh, the guy might uh, just happen to be there and offer to take her under his wing and provide for her and take care of the family and everything would turn out just fine. And most women, unfortunately, in that culture, did not have the resources or access to the resources in order to get anything accomplished. So they would usually give in to whoever it was that uh, offed their husband. So, verse 7, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. See, this is why I named it lying father, lying son. It's the same lie. Crazy, isn't it? Like, I wonder, did Abraham tell Isaac this story? Did he did he say, yeah, hey, listen, I got a story for you, son. There was a bad famine in the land, and and we didn't know, you know what to do. I had the responsibility of your mother and all the servants. And, and well, you know, I, uh, I went down to Egypt, but, you know, your mother, so good looking. Even even back in the day, like you just wouldn't even believe it. And he goes through the whole 
long story. And did Isaac, you know, listen? Did he learn? Did he have a, did he, did he think to himself, that worked out great? Like so many times that happens to people's lives, right? They head down a, they, they head down a path, we'll just say a, 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 a bad path, a bad choice. They make a choice. They go down that, that choice. They get to the end of that choice. They realize how much trouble they're in and God's goodness shows up. And God's goodness uh, and favor is poured out on them because they're like, oh my goodness, I made a really bad choice. This is really, you know, I'm, I'm in big trouble, God. And God comes through and then they look at their original choice and say, hmm, all part of God's plan. Sweet Jesus made it all all right. And sometimes, you know, even today I, I hear people, not today because I haven't actually heard anybody today because I'm alone and it's early in the morning, but I have heard people in prayer meetings or in test you know, while they're testifying, they talk, they talk like that. And they'll say, you know, I, I made this choice, you know, I, I went and did this and I stole that or I got in trouble for this. But, you know, God was, God, it was all part of God's plan because in the end, I ended up with more than I, uh, more than I thought, or I ended up, you know, not doing jail time or, you know, the, the cops didn't come or we were able to bury, <laughs> bury the problem. Literally, I, I went through that once. I was uh, part of something and, uh, and we, there was an illegal dump site on the property and we dumped everything in there. Like, not like everyday trash, but we dumped all kinds of junk and stuff that you're not supposed to dump in there, you know, air conditioners and, um, you know, engines and refrigerators and, you know, stuff would break down because, because, you know, the quote ministry didn't want to spend the money taking it to where we were supposed to. And we had all this property. So just dig a big hole with a backhoe and uh, we'll just dump it all in there. And, and that's what we did. And then, you know, we just buried it. We buried it when some inspectors were coming and nobody knew. And we were like, you know, we just need to thank the Lord that no one found out. And I'm, I'm like internally thinking, I don't, I don't think that, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think God was like happy with the fact that we were doing something illegal. Or you could make it more simple, right? When you're speeding down the highway or down, down here around me right now, like it's local roads, like, you know, speed limit is 35 and you can easily do 40. Or there's one town around here where the speed limit is 25. And I mean to tell you, Oh, it is so hard to do 25 because you can do 30, 35, and it's really like it's not a dangerous road. It's just that particular town. It is a small New England town, and it they don't want you going fast. And trust me, the cops are are they are out every day. And I'm guessing they're out every day because they find people every day because it is so hard to go 25 miles an hour. And so you go through something like that, and I was, yeah, I know, there was that pause because I forgot what I was telling you the story about. So you go through something like that, and let's say I'm rolling through there at 30, and I see the cop, and it's like, oh, crap. Oh, no, 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 no. And you're, you know, looking in your in your rearview mirror, and, and they don't pull you over. And you say to yourself, oh, thank the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, yes, yes. I don't know. Like, I don't know. God's goodness, yes, kept me from getting a ticket. But does that mean doing 30 miles an hour like he was good with that? I don't think so. I don't think so. So 
I think somewhere in there, Isaac has has heard the story about telling everyone that, you know, of, of Abraham, of telling everyone that Sarah was his sister. And, and Isaac's thinking, this turned out great for dad. I'm sure it'll turn out great for me. So he says to the men of the city and of that area, he says, uh, she is my sister. He said this because he was afraid. If he said, afraid, sorry, I wanted to pause there, right? Decisions made out of fear, never good. Nope, 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 nope. Not good, it's not good. Decisions made out of fear. That's why this culture of fear that, that you know, gets pushed on us so many times, and you can go through the list of things, well, the government, well, the media, well, the, the, the music, the whatever, the books, the teachers, the preachers, trust me, Creating a culture of fear will will get people to perform certain things, but it will destroy the culture and ultimately lead, ultimately lead to death. It just does every time. But it's addictive because, it, in theory, it helps things happen quickly. You create a, a quick sense of fear, and, and everybody falls in the line. Everybody does whatever they're told because they don't want whatever bad thing you said is going to happen to happen. And then if if the bad thing doesn't happen then you have to either, you know, then you have to create more fear or you let people go back to peace and you say, well, you know what? You did great. Everything's fine. Go back to your lives. Everything's fine. But to perpetuate fear is something that that certain, uh, shall we say, influential um, streams, streams of influence. There's some who just can't stop. Everything is a disaster. And you know what? I On a small note, I think weathermen, are probably one of the worst. I just that's between you and me. If you're a weatherman out there, I'm really sorry, but most of the most of your colleagues <laughs> constantly bring in the fear factor. Even if the you know the the, the remotest chance, right, 0.01 percent that this is going to turn into a hurricane, you just throw that out at the end of the of the report, right? And potentially it could turn into something much worse, even a hurricane. All right, tune back again at 11. I'll have more of that at 11. And uh, give you more details. And you're like, wait, what? I thought I thought we were just going to get some rain tomorrow. What, 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 where'd the hurricane come from? And and through just a seed of fear, right? They get you to. They want you to. I don't. I don't. I literally don't even watch the news. I can't even remember last time I did. But anyways, uh, I actually I really can't remember ever watching the news. I mean, I can remember that I did at one point in my life. I can't remember the last time I did though. Anyways, enough about me. On with the story. Fear is never a good reason to, to make a decision, but that's the that's where this is. This decision is made. It's made out of a root of fear. She is my wife. He thought. Then the man of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. So when Isaac had been there a long time, he'd been there a long time. He'd been he had been doing life, his family, you know, his two sons. Uh, growing up, uh, flocks, etc. Now, this is during the famine. He's still doing fine. He's staying in the city. They have the money. They have the resources. They can get credit. People are willing to help him out. So he's getting along just fine in the city. Everybody's happy. They're on the coast. There's there's at least, you know, a nice cool breeze. No one's overheating. There's a, there's a lot of benefit to being out there. Uh, you know, famine doesn't impact the fishing. So, so there's proteins and, and they're, you know, the shipping industry is right there. So you're able to, it may be expensive, but if you have money like Isaac would, 
you could also buy the grain and the and the corn, etc., to make your bread and all the all that all that kind of stuff. The rice. He'd been there a long time. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebecca. What? That is crazy. Now remember, the men that he's talking to are not are not the street guys, right? These are prominent men. These are men within, I would say, like the court of uh, Abimelech. These are these are basically royalty. And he's told them, "This is my sister. This is my sister." So he's in a probably in a courtyard. They're hanging out there in the shade under the under the pretty uh, fabric. What do I want to call it? Yeah, fabric. <laughs> Curtains. There you go. The tapestries hanging across the courtyard, or the the palm trees that are still alive, if they're if they are, and and everybody, you know, all the wealthy people always seem to find each other, right? It's interesting how that happens. I don't think it's evil. I just find it fascinating. Rich people tend to find each other. They tend to, you know, they don't worry about things. They have resources, and I know that that that's a whole other social dynamic that can get people all kind of freaky deaky. Because, you know, should should all the... Oh, no, Bob, don't go down the road. Okay, so... <laughs> it's a good discussion to have. It really is. But I don't want to discuss it right here. Um, and we might. But the whole idea of, you know, taxes and taking care of the poor and... Like, like that is a that is a principle of heaven. That is something that that Jesus taught us very clearly. And I believe is in God's heart to take care of, of people and to take care of those who don't, that those who have take care of those who have not. And how that's done is, um, it's, it's, there's a lot of options on how you do that. But I think everybody should be doing that. And, and culturally it takes on different pictures all the time because you may be in a, in a place of wealth but somebody near you is in, is in a place of need. And theoretically, you can look at them and say, well, they're really wealthy. I don't need to help them. But you you see the need and you you try to help that need. And you can be, you know, I've worked amongst the poor of the poor. And yet, there's, you know, again, they see somebody else who, you know, could use that last piece of, of bread that they have and they bring it to them. They just, <clears throat> there's a principle of love that says take care of one another. Oh, okay. I have no idea why. You felt the need to go down that. I know Bob's in the in just shaking his head in the engineering booth. Like, you're never getting through this. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I've got time. It's a podcast. What could go wrong? All right. So he sees her caressing. He sees him caressing his wife. So this is basically like a makeout session. And whatever that means to you, it, we'll just let that ride. <clears throat> whatever he saw... What he saw was not something you would see between a brother and a sister. That's what he saw. He looked out of his window and was like, who is, oh, that's <clears throat> that's Isaac. Who is he, wait, who is he kissing? What is, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, that is Rebecca. There is no way that's his sister. <clears throat> that's what he saw. When he got done looking at it, there's like, no way that's his sister. So whatever that whatever that caressing means, that's what that means. So Abimelech summons Isaac right away. Now remember, his father had to do this to Abraham. And he goes, uh, 
she, she, he doesn't even ask the question. He's just like, she is your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Yeah, that's good. That's good. He makes the call. He's like, that is your, that is not your sister. Why did you tell me it was? Well, because I thought I might, oh, here we go with the selfishness of fear, right? Fear is, is based in selfishness. Oh man. I thought I might lose my life on her, on the account of her. She's so good looking. Somebody would kill me if they knew that I was married to her. So Abimelech, he's like, what? What have you done? Do you have any idea what this would have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us all. Now, this is because culturally, and this is interesting to me, culturally, it wasn't right to commit adultery. And if you did, this was something that the, that the we'll just say the idol worshiping, uh, they looked at this as a, as a opportunity that would bring really negative impact on their area. Like, you know, the fishing would dry up or the, or the, you know, the boats would sink or there'd be a bad storm, that sort of thing. They were like, you just, you just don't do this. Like you would have brought bad, a bad deal to, maybe they use the word karma. You would have brought bad stuff onto us. If one of the men had slept with your sister, he would have thought it was your sister. He would have had no, no idea that it was your wife. And that's something we're not allowed to do. You know this. This is really bad. All right, listen. Now, I think this is so gracious. So gracious of Abimelech because he gives the orders to all the people. He sets it out. No one is to harm this man or his wife. He makes the declaration. We're going to protect this guy. We're going to protect him. We're going to protect his wife. No one's going to kill him. No one's going to steal his wife. She is good looking. I get it. Everybody here loved her. But we're not going to kill him. I'm not going to put that kind of guilt on our culture. I'm not going to carry that kind of of uh, guilt on our, on our, yeah, on our government. So anyways, he puts out a death sentence. And Isaac planted crops in the land. And the same year, he reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and so many herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. All right. So why, why, does, why does God bless this man after what he did? This is a fair question. This is the way I see it. God's not happy about the lying. What, he, what, he's, what his blessings able to flow through is that truth is now being told. Abimelech forced the truth to come out. Abimelech you know, paid attention and was like, wait, we got we to gotta fix something that's wrong. And he sets out to protect Isaac and the integrity of his nation. And Isaac, I'm sure, greatly appreciated the fact that he was now protected and now he could sleep with his wife without anybody, without probably without sneaking around. I'm guessing they were sneaking around, but but now he could be out in the open. And so he's able to live free. This is this is why when you make a decision out of fear, you're not free. You're not free. You be, you you become in bondage. I know that's a huge like that's that's such a loaded word, but. That's what it becomes like. You start to you start to 
operate out of this place where you, you're not free to do whatever it is you want. Listen, Isaac lied. When you lie, it's not just once, right? He's got a, He's been lying to people for a long time. He feels bad about this. He, uh, he, he probably had a lie, obviously, that it was his sister. And then I'm sure as people were interested, he lied about whether or not she was interested in them. And then and then, you know, can we come over for dinner and meet your sister? No, I'm really busy tonight. Like he had compounded lie upon lie upon lie. His heart had to be really heavy, but he couldn't get out of the lie. Abimelech gets him out. Abimelech figures it, you know, sees it in, and, in, and in his wisdom says, I need to straighten this out. This is amazing to me. So out of freedom, Isaac's finally able to operate out of freedom. He can operate openly. And love is always about freedom. Heaven is always about freedom. This is a this is a healthy place for him to be. So he starts planting crops, and God's blessing can always flow when you're being honest. He can always flow when you're not living in fear. It's not that he doesn't send the good stuff. It's that it's that fear blocks it. It's you that gets you set out of you know uh, you. It's you. It's all you. But you get yourself out of the frequency of heaven. You're not listening and hearing the rhythms of heaven. You're not drawn back and living out of the original identity of creation. You're living out of a new identity, and and it's sourced in fear. So yeah, out of freedom, he gets blessed and his crops grow and and a hundredfold. Now usually most most. Farmers in that day were, were, would hope for a 40, a 40-fold uh, harvest. In other words, they get 40% more than what they planted. 50 was great. 70 was off the charts. To get 100-fold is insane. But that's what he started to get. And then, of course, that gave him resources, and he was able to expand even more and, and plant even more and trade even more and and flocks and money and clothing and tents and and this and so the servants of the philistines okay so they're out in the fields working they're watching all this going on they're like this this isn't right so all the wells that his father's servants had dug up during the time of abraham right the philistines filled in with water because they're like remember the uh the, the well that they dug, uh, that Abraham dug with Abimelech. Remember, there was a little well issue uh, a few episodes ago. And in that episode, uh, they they dug one and uh, they agreed that that was Abraham's well. And um, uh, they planted, uh, Abraham planted a tree next to it. It's like, this is mine. This is my water source. All right. So Abimelech agreed and they were like, we'll, we'll go to other water sources, everything that was that was Abraham's Abimelech. Now this is Isaac's Abimelech. So the servants of the wealthy people in the city are like, we can't, like he clearly is getting a ton of water from his wells. If he wasn't getting water, then he wouldn't stay. We can't stand it. We don't like him. We envy him. Always fascinating, right? What envy will do because it always destroys things. It never makes things better. And you think if I destroy the other person, my life will be better. That's not never what happens, right? Envy, that's not what happens. You destroy someone else's life, your life becomes worse. I mean, think about it. Rather than work out a deal to get water from the same wells that uh, Isaac had dug, in other words, in a, a, you know, pay a tax or, or make an arrangement 
so that everybody gets water from this well or these wells. <clears throat> they decide to stop up the well, to fill them in with dirt because then nobody gets water. Like this is this is just the, the insanity, the irrationality of, uh, of envy. <clears throat> and I kind of think, you know, I'm picturing uh, Esau. He probably wanted to kill these guys. That's what I think. He's probably like, listen, Dad, I could stand 100 yards away and take out three of them with one arrow. Trust me, I'm that good. Isaac's like, no, 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 we're going to figure this out. So Abimelech comes to Isaac and he says, listen, why don't you move away from us? You've become very, very powerful. In other words, you've gotten way too many riches. Um, and my my people are are having a tough time with that, like, they see all of your favor as the fact that their gods don't like them, but your God really likes you. So they want retaliation. And I don't I don't want to stop them. I just want, you know, can you just move away? So he did. Isaac moved away. He moved away, camped in another valley. That's where he settled. He reopened the wells that had been dug during, during his, basically when his father Abraham had lived there. And, uh, you know, when his father died, the Philistines came in and filled them all in because there's this, there is, you know, there's some truth to this. They knew that some level, the water table of the land was important. So if you had a well and I had a well and your well was above mine or below, I don't know. Yeah. Below mine, then my water would run to your well and you'd end up with a, you know, the deeper well wins, so to speak. So they would stop up wells when a when the owner of them would die, they would they would fill them in. And and I know it's annoying, but at some level they were also saying, you know, this will keep my well from going dry because their well is now useless. So anyways, Isaac's servants uh, dug, they they kept finding fresh water and then the, the shepherds would come and they would quarrel and they would fight and they would say, no, that's our water. Uh, this is our dad. Like they, so they disputed over things and they, they would dig more and they would quarrel over that. And this, these are not like day by day things. Like these things would take months and months, right? You, you dig a well for weeks and then you'd be using it. And then the, the, the herdsmen would come around later and they'd be upset because you have a well and they, you know, their well isn't doing so well. Oh, you just used well like 12 times, Bob. Thank you so much. Anyways, it's just a mess. And it goes on and on and on. So Isaac's kind of moving around. Isaac keeps finding water. And then and then people keep wanting to take it from him. So verse 24, that uh, uh, he went to Beersheba. And that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. I will bless you. I will increase your number, your descendants, for the sake of my, for my servant Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there and he named it. In the name of the Lord, he pitched his tent and his servants dug a well. <laughs> which is the first thing you need to do, right? You ever watch like that? Uh, I watch that show. I think it's on the History Channel called Alone. Like to me, that's like legit survivor stuff. So it's not it's not filled with pre-production and, you know, maybe some little helps here and there. Uh, these these people are competing. There's no there's no timeline. That's what that's what to me is fascinating. These guys go out expecting to spend a year or more living alone. And I mean, they are in horrible conditions. <laughs> oh, and by, uh, for me, the horribleness is cold, 
and wet. Oh, the worst. It's the worst. Anyways, the first thing they have to do is find a water supply. That's what they do. So that's what they these, these guys do. He he hears from the Lord. Again, Isaac, it sounds like Isaac never heard from the Lord. It's at this specific time, basically God saying, hang out here, stay here. So they dug another well, and uh, he built an altar to the Lord. So they had a place, a central place to come and worship and, and learn from, from uh, the teachings of Abraham. And uh, Abimelech finds him. Now, I'm guessing he'd been tracking them for days. They show up. Uh, he's there with his, you know, his wise counsel and the commander of his forces. And he, Isaac says, what, what, what are you doing here? You know, you were hostile to me. You sent me away. I've, I've traveled away. Your servants and herdsmen keep chasing me. Like, this is just, what is going on? Well, um, I think that it's pretty clear that the God that you serve really likes you. Everywhere you go, you keep expanding, you keep getting more powerful, you keep getting more servants, more security, more more herds. Like, I think that there should be an agreement, a treaty between us. You will not do us any harm, and we won't do you any harm. But always we will treat you well, and uh, we, you know, we'll send you away peacefully, and everything will be good. Like, everything's going to be good. So, uh, again, a little note on their culture, right? Isaac listens to all that, and then they have a feast together. And after they they you know ate and drank and and talked all night long as friends, in the morning is when they actually uh, agree on the treaty. They swore that oath, and Isaac sent them on their way in peace, and and everything was good. And that day, the servants come out and say, "We found the water." And that kind of literarily puts the the bookend on the basic end of the story, right? Because we start out with a famine and we end with water. We start out with having to make, uh, you know, changes, to make a move, to live in a city, uh, to, to put strain on relationships. And we land in a place where we're at peace with the, with the culture around us. We are at peace with the herds, herdsmen, the shepherds around us. And we find a resource, a water source that allows us to expand and to continue to grow and see the favor of God come. It's just an interesting little back and forth that you can pick up on the on the language. And he called it, uh, it was outside the town of Beersheba where he had landed. <clears throat> and then we just get like this little, uh, <laughs> we get this little thing. Uh, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Ben, Ben, Be, sorry, Beriai, the Hittite. And he also married uh, Basmath, daughter of Elon, the Hitt, Hittite. So they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. I just think it's it's cute. Like family never goes away, right? You just can't. Everything's going great. We have this nice peaceful treaty situation going on. And then, and then it's like, the, we just get like this little note. Like, yeah, but Esau's still a bother. Like he's still... He's now he's just he's just marrying good-looking chicks that he finds. Like this is nuts. It's always fun, you know, to have family. <laughs> but I think it, you know, for for today we'll just say that Esau's in a place where 
he's he's having fun. He makes he makes decisions in the moment. He worries about the ramifications later. He has incredible confidence in his ability to overcome bad decisions. And if nothing else, he knows he can always hunt, you know, go out hunting and come back with food. Everybody likes food. Everybody likes to party. As long as there's food, everybody's going to be fine. We'll figure this out. That's that's his I don't think I you know, sometimes Esau comes across as like this evil character, <clears throat> this anti-god character. I don't know if he was really anti-God. I just think he he really just had a different paradigm of decision-making. Meanwhile, Jacob, who's also 40, he's still single. He's still stable. He's still being responsible. And I'm sure Rebecca reminds Isaac of this. And that's why it says they were, you know, these women, these, these foreign wives were a source of grief to Isaac and to Rebecca. Because Isaac wants to give all the blessings to um, to Esau, right? We know this. <clears throat> he wants to, he wants to give him the whole family deal. But he he also knows good grief, son. Come on, like you're marrying these foreign women. This is not gonna. This is not the the plan. You look radical, or not radical. You look uh, irrational. You look like you're one of them. Like I need you to be like your brother. A little bit, a little bit. Can you be a little bit like your brother? Meanwhile, Rebecca's like, you know, Jacob's making a good decision. You know, Jacob expanded this uh, uh, field. You know, Jacob made a good trade deal. Jacob told me that he was talking to this merchant, and we've, we're going to be able to get these at a at a cheaper rate for the next, you know, two seasons. Like, whatever. Like, Jacob is doing his deal. Isaac's doing his deal. And all of this is going on after uh, after this famine. But now we're in a good place a place of peace, a place of resource. And uh, whatever you do, when you know your heritage, don't look at bad decisions that, that someone made before you as an excuse for you to make them as well. Even though they might have walked out of those bad decisions with blessings. Even though they might have, you know, whatever. It's, mm, sorry, I don't want to keep going. We, we've gone long enough. Maybe I'll give more of this on, the, on uh, Bob Thoughts. Uh, later on. But anyways, for today, we are done with the epic narrative. I hope you have a fabulous day and I look forward to hearing from you and, and uh, connecting with you again next time on the epic narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Yeah, let me just uh, let me try and put that thought again in a uh, more succinct manner and that is God's goodness is what's constant he is never not good and when we get blessings after making a poor decision because we you know we lied on a on a resume and we got a great job we we cheated on a test and we got a great score we plagiarized and we got a you know we got a good grade <clears throat> we uh you know, spent money or hid money, and then we were able to purchase something, and we just had a great time, and nobody knew where the money came, or my wife didn't know where the money came from, or whatever. Like, there's all kinds of ways that we can make poor decisions, decisions that I would consider not kingdom decisions, decisions that are based in deception, uh, based in selfishness, based in fear, based in... Um, hurting other people but it makes us feel good like cutting you know uh yeah like that whole realm of, of gossip and 
uh, destruction of people's character. All of that all, uh, are, are bad decisions. These are decisions that cause people to not understand a connection to heaven, right? Now, in making those decisions, if good things happen to us anyway, that is not any, some sort of endorsement from heaven saying, well, you know, it's all right. God's not up there going, well, a little lie hurt, doesn't hurt anybody or a little cheating, a little deception, a little, a little uh, hidden, hiddenness. This, this is not going to be a problem because I'm going to bless you. You know, I, I'm, I'm good with it. You know, God is not good with it. The kingdom doesn't go forward because of it. What we need to recognize is that God is always good, always good. My, uh, my producer, he once uh, said to me, he was in a, in a corporate meeting and um, they were basically, you know, they were going to spend a bunch of money because they had some money and they were like, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. And there really wasn't, my understanding is there just wasn't a lot of consideration as to what God might think or anything like that. And, and the, the concept in this meeting was, well, we have the money, let's go ahead and spend it. And my friend was like, really? Do we really think that we're batting a thousand? In other words, do you really think that we're all making every decision is the best decision and God is blessing us? Or do we think that God is just good? And it just at least gave everybody the opportunity to pause and think, wow, maybe God's just always good. And I love that. I love that we get an opportunity every time we make a choice and we see the results, we get to say to ourselves, well, did that happen because of, of you know, my amazing ability to lie to people and to fake them out and to pretend to be someone I'm not or to cut down their reputation or et cetera, et cetera? Or is God just really good? You know, it's, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. It's his goodness that lets us know that he's never separated from us it's not his kindness and his goodness is not an endorsement of all of our decisions now hopefully <clears throat> all your decisions are amazing and rooted in the kingdom of god and then what does it do it opens you up to constant flow uh, like like an amazing overwhelming flow there's nothing that will hinder his goodness kind of like what we saw today in a in this episode, like once, once everything got right, man, the well opened up. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a good picture. And it's something we, sh we should keep in mind. It, it truly is. Now, uh, on my little journey of life, just for what it's worth, if you're paying attention at home, we are on our way. We're going to be in Atlanta. Um, and then I think... Yeah, by the time you hear this uh, on Monday, we will be preparing for our trip to Texas. We're going to end up in Texas, I think, for about six months. Hopefully, I'll get done at least with the research of Exodus, and uh, we'll start recording that so that when, when Genesis is done, Exodus can begin season three. This is really fun for me. I know all last week we celebrated the 100th uh, episode hundredth chapter of the biblical narrative and 
I, uh, I look forward to continuing the process. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much for listening. Have yourself a fabulous day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.